Friends, I wonder, what kind of questions did you come with this morning as you approached the church? If you are a visitor, perhaps for the first time, we're so glad you're here this morning. Welcome. I'm wondering, as you came in this morning to this uh, church called Park Hills Baptist Church, I wonder what kind of questions did you have as you got in your car this morning, or perhaps even questions before you got in the car, whether you should come or not, or whether you should come here or somewhere else. And as you drove in this morning, I wonder, you, you were wondering, how, how will it be? Will I like the singing? Will I like the people? Will they be nice to me? Will they notice me? Will they invite me to lunch? Will I feel welcomed? What, are, what, are, what is the attitude with which you come to church? Or perhaps others who are not visitors, those of you who come here regularly, and perhaps even those who are members here, uh, you, you make this to be a part of your weekly gathering. It's part of your life, and we're so glad that, that this is so in your life. But I wonder if, if you just come because it's your, it's, it's your habit, and you just don't think about it. How is it that you come to church? Friends, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes as a church going through the sermon of the book of Ecclesiastes, and today we're going to make a major change in, in this book. So far, the, the book of Ecclesiastes challenged us about the vanities of life. And now, today, in the passage we will read, the Ecclesiastes will challenge us that there's actually a vanity even in the way we might approach God, if we're not careful. So this morning, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'll be reading from verse 1 to 7. If you did not bring your Bible with you, you may find a Bible provided in the chair in front of you, a black Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take one of the Bibles uh, in the pews and take it home with you. Um, if you um, are opening our pew Bibles, you may find this passage on page number 555. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow that than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we pray by your Spirit that you would speak to us from the word which you have revealed to us. Lord, we pray for our hearts. We pray for our minds. We pray for our ears. May we listen. Give us attentiveness 
and give us hearts that are ready to obey. We pray this in the name of Christ for his glory and honor and through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In chapter 5, we are taking a pretty big turn in the book. I want to review briefly what the book has been about in chapters 1 through 4. Chapters 1 and 2, the preacher told us, the preacher of Ecclesiastes told us that nothing in our experience under the sun survives the test of death. Nothing. That everything under the sun, even our pleasures, our possessions, even human wisdom, everything is transient and passing. And in chapter 3, he told us that there's nothing under the sun that time would not undo. We were given a pair of contrasts, life and death, birth and death, plucking and, and planting and Everything, for everything there is a season. And in the end, everything, there's a season for the, the positive and the negative. And all of that is under the sovereign hand of God. Life under the sun is transient and we don't have the ability to control it. And we don't have the ability to stop this transientness. Then in the second part of chapter 3, we were presented with the pervasive nature of human corruption and wickedness. Human oppression, injustice where, there sh where we would expect justice, unrighteousness and wickedness where we would expect righteousness. And this, the presence of evil in this world is, is so prevalent that actually even death looks better than having to face the injustice and the human oppression. The, the death that used to be an enemy in chapters 1 and 2 now is an ally compared to the the reality of oppression and injustice in our world. And in chapter 4, we looked at those who seem to have it all together. The hardworking person who's driven to get things done. He has a hard work ethic. But even his life and even his work could be corrupted by envy and by the desires to have more than the neighbors around us. The self-motivated and successful individuals often are so because they not only want to keep up with the Joneses, they want to have more than the Joneses. So we get an extra job, so we get extra work, so we do more work so we can keep up for all the, all the stuff we like having and all the things we like acquiring. Last week, we saw at the end of chapter 4, the vanities of materialism, of individualism, and of human glory. And now... In chapter 5, we turn to the church. We turn to a place where we come to worship God. Even here, we can come with an attitude that actually is vanity. So this morning, as we turn to, the, to how do we approach God himself, could we approach God wrongly? The book of Ecclesiastes we say, will say yes. Even in the worship of God, even in the way we come before Him, we can come with a wrong attitude and therefore come with an experience vanity. This text has the most concentration uh, on, on God than any passage in the book of Ecclesiastes. In seven verses, we see the reference to God six times. So as we look at cautions, how to approach God, I'd like to, to, to prepare your minds for four cautions that we see in this passage. 
Four cautions. If you like taking notes, here's, here's the first caution of approaching God. Caution in how you come. Caution in how you come to worship God. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. And what does it mean to, to guard your steps when you come to the house of God? I wonder, did any of you count your steps as you walked in today? No. Did any of you wear shingles like soccer players wear to guard their feet as they play soccer? No. What does it mean to guard your steps as you come to the house of God? Well, it, it really, it's, a, it's an expression to, that means be careful how you approach God in worship. Consider why are you coming to the house of God. It means come prepared as you come to worship God. But what does that preparation involve? One of the things it does involve, it's not the only thing that involves it, but one of the things it does involve, and it's, it's written here in our text, come with a readiness to listen to God. Come with a readiness to listen to God. Notice the contrast of verse 1. Coming in with an intention to listen is better than coming with a sacrifice. Now, this is Old Testament times, and oftentimes people will come to the temple bringing an offering, bringing a sacrifice. It could be a sacrifice for sin. It could be a sacrifice for gratitude, for thanksgiving, a sacrifice of praise. It could be a number of sacrifices. And people would bring in that which they had and wanted to give to the Lord. And they, they sacrificed. They took stuff from their own belongings and, and brought to the Lord. Now, problem is sometimes worshipers would fall in the trap of the, of the religious habit of, of doing, bringing the sacrifice. You know, their, their, their checking account would, would be less because they brought something to the Lord, right? They, their, their, their flock would be less because they brought an animal to the Lord. And yet, their sacrifice could have been the sacrifice of fools. Why? Why would it be the sacrifice of fools? Well, a number of things. Our text doesn't explain it. It just says it's better to, to listen than to have the sacrifice of fools. Why in the Old Testament would someone be considered a fool in bringing a sacrifice? Aren't they bringing something to the Lord? Aren't they showing up and they're showing up not empty-handed? Isn't that enough, God? And yet it's a sacrifice of fools. Why? For a number of things. Some of them could be they would bring in the sacrifice thinking that they could so much get better with God and sort of earn some brownie points with God. They would bring the sacrifice because they wanted God to do something for them. But their hearts were not really interested to draw near to God. Their hearts were not really interested to listen to what God says. They would keep on sinning, and they would just bring the sacrifice for the sin, but they would not go back and try to change that moving forward. They're not really interested to get closer to God. They're just there to do what they have to do to sort of get right with God officially, do what God sort of requires officially, but their hearts are far away from God. That's a sacrifice of fools in the Old Testament. 
least one aspect of them. In our text, the sacrifice of fools is described actually in the rest of the passage. Anyone who approaches the worship of God carelessly, superficially, on his own terms, is the fool who brings a sacrifice. Yeah, you bring a sacrifice to the Lord. Yeah, you show up. Yeah, you inconvenience yourself to, to be here to worship God, but you do so carelessly, superficially, on your own terms. The fool is the one who makes all kinds of promises to God and then takes his word back. The fool is the one who speaks many words to God, but doesn't really mean them. All this is described in our passage that we just read this morning. Rather than bringing a sacrifice of, of, uh, of animals with such careless and superficial hearts, the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, it's better to draw near to God with an intention to listen. With an intention to listen. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, um, the notion of listening has two aspects. It has the aspect of paying attention, but also obeying. In other words, listen so you can do something about it. Not just listen to get informed and go back as if you haven't heard it. Remember Prophet Samuel in the Old Testament and, and Saul? When Saul, Samuel told Saul, wait for me. Don't offer a sacrifice until I come. And, and Saul is, sees the pressure of the people, the pressure of the enemy, and he goes ahead and brings a sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel comes to him and reproves him, rebukes him. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel says to Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. Did you see the connection between listening and obeying and how that is better than bringing sacrifices to the Lord? Now, today, we no longer bring sacrifices to the Lord in, in the kind of animals that we see in the Old Testament sacrificial system. But we all bring things to God, don't we? And the Lord encourages us to bring things to God. We bring our offering. We bring offerings to Him financially. We give our time. We give our talent to the Lord. We bring things to the Lord. We want to do things for the Lord. But friends, how easy it is for us to think this way. Since we're doing those, thing, those things for God, man, God should be happy. And we don't really think about what kind of heart do I bring to God. Somehow we think that if, if we do these other things for God, our hearts must be right. Friends, it's not necessarily so. I pray you be so, but not necessarily. It is good that while we serve God, while we bring good to God our 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 talents, our time, our, our treasures, that we would come to Him also with a heart intent to listen to God. I love what Derek Kidner says. The preacher is targeting here in this text. He's targeting the well-meaning person who likes a good thing and turns up cheerfully enough to church, but who listens with half an ear. Do you know those worshipers? Cheerful, come to church, happy, excited. It's so great to see everybody. So great to catch up with everybody else. But we don't check what kind of heart do we come with. Are we open to hear? 
Are we looking forward to hear what God has to say? So what is the appropriate attitude with which we should draw near to God? It is with a desire to hear, to listen to His voice, to His Word. Friends, when you come to church, when you came this morning, did you come with this attitude? Do you look forward to gather with God's people so you can hear a word from God? One of the reasons why we inform you in advance of the text that we will preach on the following week, we do so even in our bulletins. If you could check our bulletins for next week at the back, it says the preaching, the text will be reached next week. If you're a member of this congregation, we announce ahead of time through our email once a week what will be uh, preached on the next Sunday. Why do we do that? Because we want you to read ahead of time during the week so that when you come Sunday to church, you're actually coming with a readiness to listen to God and hear what He has to say. Or friends, when you think about just gathering on Sunday, do you think about coming and be seeking to be rested so that you can hear well, not with a half-dozing attitude? Do you think about the importance of actually going to sleep early on Saturday night? Not because it's a legalistic rule by any means, but don't stay up until 2 or 3 in the morning and then you come half asleep to, to church on Sunday. You're not coming with, with a, a readiness to listen. You're not coming with, a, with an ability to actually be alert and careful. You're really giving God the leftovers of Saturday night. And you think you're bringing to God a sacrifice. You're bringing your time, your, your presence here. But it could be the sacrifice of fools because you're actually not paying attention and careful with what kind of attitude you approach God. When you come on Sundays, you come with a willingness to be reminded that the God of Scripture is different than the God we want Him to be. Here's another one. You know, sometimes we come, we're ready to, to, hear, to, God, to hear what God has to say, but we really have made up our minds already. And we just want, we come to church to be confirmed in, what we, in that which we already believe. Friends, that's a wrong attitude to come to church with. We should rather come with an attitude saying, I want to I come with an attitude that I'm willing to be corrected by whatever Scripture reveals to us today. Because we can so easily turn God in our own image. We like to worship a God who we like Him to be our, in our own way. Therefore, when we come to church, when we come to hear what God has to say, we want to come with a readiness and a willingness to be corrected in our own view of God based on this book on Scripture. Come with that attitude. I love what one, uh, one of the authors said this. One might characterize the whole of, Christians, of a Christian's life as a lifelong training in listening to God more than we listen to ourselves. Taking God a bit more seriously than ourselves. Friends, that is the kind of attitude we desire to come with every, every Sunday morning when we gather in this place. How I wish that we would take His word to heart, that we would come with an anticipation of hearing a word from God, not to hear just about life applications, about what I can do this week, but to hear a word from God, to hear about who God is, and let that revelation transform my own life. Well, after giving caution about how to approach God, how to come to worship God, here's the next caution that the preacher of Ecclesiastes gives us. cautioning how you speak to God. 
Caution how you speak to God. We've looked at caution how you come to God. Caution how you speak to God. Look at this at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Why not? Look at, verse, at the rest of the verse. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. And then this command is repeated again in verse 3. Therefore, let your words be few. And then we have two more reasons why this command is given. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. Now, what is this caution about? It addresses the tendency of our hearts to speak to God carelessly or superficially. It challenges a hastiness of spirit that we often have when we speak to God. In the RSV, uh, it translates this verse in this way, never let your heart hurry you into words. It means making unthoughtful utterances to God, speaking to Him without careful reflection of what we're actually saying. Now, friends, this tendency can happen in us in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, it's when we're driven by emotionalism, when we let our emotions drive us rather than our minds helping us think carefully what exactly are we saying to God or what exactly we're responding to God. We're just responding emotionally. The problem is not the emotion, but when the emotion takes over the use of our minds, we respond on emotion apart from the thoughtful reflection of our minds and hearts. And when emotion goes away, guess what else goes away? Our promises to God. Another example of thoughtless speech is, is when we use Christian language superficially. Friends, it happens to me as well. I have to guard against this. Without when you say something without actually thinking what you're saying, you, you've just said it so many times that you just say it again, but you're not really thinking about what you're saying when you're talking to someone. It could be that advice, that Christian advice, right, uh, that we could easily just go to without really thinking carefully about what we're saying. It happens to us also, especially when we pray. Have you noticed we, we have ways of praying the same way? We have our prayer language. And it's so easy for us to just get on, turn on that praying mode, and we just pray, and we have all the right words, but we're not really thinking about what we're saying. Or, or we, we sometimes think that if we have many words, or very, we're very excited in praying, that somehow that's legitimate prayer. It may not be. We, we want to approach God with a thoughtful reflection of what are we saying when, when we're praying. Now, what's the remedy against all this? The remedy is in verse 2. It says, do you, do you realize who you're talking to? You're talking to the God of heaven. He's in heaven. You are on earth. In other words, remembering the greatness of God guards us against a flippant and superficial attitude we sometimes have as we speak to God or about God. Think about who you are addressing. God is in heaven and we are on the earth. Yes, we can address Him as, as, our, as our Father, as Jesus taught us. But He's our Father. 
in heaven. He's not my buddy. Intimacy with God can never be flippant or superficial or casual. But what is the cause of this flippant attitude, of, of this attitude we can fall into of being superficial with God? Verse 3 gives us the reason. Much busyness and many words. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. We think that we're, if we're busy for God and we have many words for God, that we must be doing well spiritually. And that's false. Busyness and much talk is not necessarily a good reflection of spiritual health. We allow the activism for God to hinder us from reflective prayer and to lead us into impatience with God. So the many words we have for God, it could actually be a sign of our impatience with God. It could be a sign of our superficiality with God. I'll give you a test. How you know that you might be suffering of, of this kind of, of this syndrome of having many words with God, and actually that's not a good sign of spiritual health. It's not a sign of spiritual health. Here's how. Do you feel awkward in silence with God? In silence in our services. Friends, we are making very intentional that in part of our services, we should have moments of silence. When we first introduced that here a few years ago, it was awkward because we were not used to it. We were used to always having sound. We were used to always having something to keep us busy because we were afraid of, of silence. Think of it in your own personal walk with the Lord. Your quiet times. Do you only have the, the five-minute quick quiet time, drive-in quiet time experience in your week? Or do you have times of longer reflection, silent reflection on the Word of God, prayer according to the Word of God, not just some self-centered uh, spirituality of just isolationism and quietness by yourself. No, reflection and quietness with the Word of God open and you just getting deep into it. Is that, do you have that in your life? Because if, you, if all you have is just a quick, active, um, popcorn prayers kind of thing, well, I mean, that's great. That's, that's, I'm glad you have that, but that's not enough. I mean, that's, actually, that's not necessarily a sign of, of health, of spiritual health. Because you can have many words with God. You can be quick with God all the time, but you actually don't have time to really sit down and reflect and get deeper with Him. Friends, I pray that as we think about how do we worship God, that actually a careful, thoughtful engagement with God is better, more healthy than the careless, quick, excited spur of the, of the spiritual experience that we can often find more appealing. Caution in how you speak to God. Be careful what you say to Him. Here's a third caution. And from this point on, it's actually going to build up. Caution in what you promise God. Caution in what you promise God. One of the facets of our superficial approach to God is that we are careless in the promises we make to God. Look at verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. 
Now, the preacher here is talking in the Old Testament context about certain pledges that worshipers would come to temple, would make to God, and then they were supposed to do it. But for whatever reason, they would delay doing it. So, they, we could be saying things like, well, I'm going to wait on doing that. I know I said that to God, but I'm going to wait doing it until later. Um, I need to take care of this first and then that, and then if I get to it, I'll take care of that promise. This is a fool, friends. This is a, the attitude and language of a fool. Notice how Ecclesiastes describes such a person. God has no pleasure in such fools. Now, whoever makes promises to God and delays carrying them out falls in this category. And that could be me. That could be you whenever we fall in this category. Ask yourself, friend, do you have a tendency to delay acting upon the promises or vows you make to God? Now, the issue is not simply about forgetting, but even about delaying. And why is this a big deal? Why does God care about this? It's not because He's a harsh God. No, not at all. Rather, it's that your delay could actually betray or reveal that you don't really think very highly about God. You belittle God. When you make God a promise, you actually think, eh, it's not a big deal if I do it now or next week or a month from now or a year from now. Oh, he'll understand. Oh, he knows my situation. Oh, he's a, he's a merciful God. Oh, friends, this passage tells us that he has no pleasure in such fools. Belittling God so that you actually put yourself and your needs above God. That's a foolish choice. Now, friends, I want to be sure I understand, you understand. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, this may sound way too harsh. I want you to understand that all of this comes, the whole idea of worshiping God, of bringing sacrifices to Him, of, of, of making promises to God, can only come from a heart full of gratitude to God for what God has accomplished for us in Christ. Sinners who are not reconciled with God should not worry about this text. This text does not apply to you at all. For those who have not been reconciled with God, for those who, even though they might claim to be Christians, but their hearts have not been, been really changed, for them, they, what, you, what you need to think about is, how, how can I get right with God? And it's not doing this. It's actually by realizing that you are a sinner, that your sin has made you an enemy of God because you actually have acted against God by all your ways of sin. And that actually, because of your sin, the, the righteous judgment of a, of a holy God, of a perfect God, is actually against all sinners. And yet, realizing that God would not want to stand against sinners for all eternity, He provided a way to rescue rebellious sinners so that those who repent of their sin, those who acknowledge their sin and turn away from it and trust in Christ for salvation, trust in His sacrifice for us, they can be made right with God, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf, so that those who repent and turn to Christ, they might actually be accepted back into fellowship with God. And this whole idea of, of receiving, understanding the gospel, responding to the gospel, when we understand it's all by grace, makes us realize we bring nothing to the table of God's salvation except our sin except our rebellion. It is God who works in us. It's God who brings us to life. He transforms us. He brings a new life in us. And as a result of that, 
our hearts are full of gratitude for God. Our hearts are full of, 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 of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. That's why we make promises to God. That's why we come back to God and worship Him and desire to, to serve Him. And we voluntarily offer to, to respond to God and, and serve Him and His kingdom. But friend, if you're not a Christian, don't worry about, about that gratitude yet. I call on you, come to Christ. Repent of your sin. Believe on the Lord Jesus. And He will give you a new life. If you'd like to know more about what that means, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. But for all of us who are believers, for all of us in whose life God has truly given a new heart, has, has transformed us, we're called to serve God out of, a, out of gratitude, out of gratitude to make vows and promises to God, out of gratitude to, to give ourselves to Him. But when you make those promises, be careful. Act on them. Don't treat God superficially. Notice the preacher says in verse 5, it is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Now, here's what this verse does not mean. It doesn't mean that you should stop making promises to God as a way to excuse your lack of commitment to God. No, that's not what he means. He says, if you make a promise, think carefully who you make it to. Yeah, it's better not to make it than to think less of God. But the whole point is think more of God. Think, think, realize who, you're, who you are approaching and whom you're making promises to. One of the ways, friends, we can make promises to God is in our songs. I don't know if you, any of you realize, when we choose songs while we sing together, they're very carefully chosen. And by the way, we don't choose them for how good they sound. Let me just be very open and transparent with you. We don't choose songs for how good they sound in singing. We choose songs for how true they are to Scripture and how filled they are with the Word of God. And the reason why we're careful with that is because we realize when we put these songs before you, we are asking you to say these things to God. And you will say that most of you, as we look Sunday to Sunday, most of you sing pretty well. And I'm encouraged by, by your singing to the Lord. By the way, that was an understatement. I'm really encouraged by the way you sing. But I want to give you a caution. Think what you're singing. Just for a second, songs like I Surrender All. I think remember Ryan, when last time we sang the song, Ryan cautioned us that this is a dangerous song to sing. I so appreciated that comment. It is. Because think of what you're saying in that song. All to Jesus, I surrender all to him I freely give. Really? Will you? You sing that song and then you go home. Will you do that? Or songs like, How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors. Do we mean to say that God, to God, that the place of gathering together where Christ is in the doors is very sweet and full of awe? Do we really, our hearts, do our hearts really mean that? Oh, friends, realize that even in the kind of things we sing, you should, you should think carefully, what are you saying? Because it is one place in our worship time when we're actually making common, together promises to God. Sing with your mind before you sing with your heart. 
let your, heart, let your mind engage. And then, believe it or not, emotions will start rising up based on the truth of what you sing, not just because on, on the tune of, of what a song might be. Here's a point. If we are going to worship God reverently, we must desire to keep the promises we make to Him. If we say we will do something for God, friend, take that seriously because God is listening to your promises. Last caution. Caution number four. Caution in being sincere before God. Caution in being sincere before God. Notice the fourth command in verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Now, this caution, it goes back to the whole experience of the worshiper who vowed something to God to make an offering to the Lord. Then the, somebody from the temple, a representative from the temple, goes to his house to collect the promise. And the, the person shows up, and the worshiper says, Oh, oh, I didn't mean that. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a mistake. Don't do that. Here's why not. Because it's a foolish excuse. It wasn't a mistake. You meant it when you did it. But now you're trying to take it back. You no longer want to do it. And now you're, fi you're finding a foolish excuse that will somehow please a human person and, and, and sort of get you off the hook. Don't do that. Don't do that not for the sake of human beings. Don't do that for your own sake. Don't do that because God will be angry with you. Because God is angry when we actually approach Him and you treat worshiping Him with insincerity and find foolish human excuses for your lack of, of serving God. Think how often, friends, you and I make foolish excuses to get out of the commitments we have made to God. Be weary of that. Verse 6 says, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands when, you choose, when we choose to speak untruth, especially about our vows and promises to God? We betray, once again, our impression that God is not really going to be bothered by that. He's, he's going to understand. Friends, I wonder if really, if we are not actually betraying our view of a low, a, view, a low view of God as we make those excuses. I would love what uh, Gray Donis says about this verse. Reverence for God will cause us not to delay fulfilling any promises we have made to God. Now, what's a common cause of all these traps? Four cautions we looked at. The common trap is really, we really have a low view of God. And the solution to all these cautions boils down in, at the end of verse 7. But God is the one you must fear. Instead of coming to worship God with dreams and illusions and visions of what we would like the church to be, what we would like things to be like, instead of have coming to God with our own visions and ideas, we should come to God as the one whom we must revere and stand in awe of. People, said someone, people are prone to carry their illusions with them while they worship and also to talk without thinking. Is that you? Is that me? It can't be me often, friends, if I don't think carefully about it. I just want you to know, I struggle with this too. It's easy for me to bring my own illusions and not really stand submitted under this word and really stand submitted under the awe of God. How sad that when our worship 
It's really more about what we bring to it in terms of our ideas rather than our submission to it. That actually, when we bring, when we focus more on what we, what just having a lot of words, careless and yet hyped, emotion-filled, but without really much reflection, that actually our worship can become a vanity. So friend, here's the bottom line. If you're a Christian, don't be casual with God. Don't be casual with God. Don't treat lightly what is holy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the church in Corinth treated lightly the Lord's Supper. And Paul said, when you gather together, because you treat lightly the Lord's Supper, when you gather together, you do it not to get better, but actually you get worse. Yes, we can get worse while we worship, when we gather to worship God if we do it without careful reflection of what's going on, while we do it casually. What about us today? Many, many come to church with the wrong attitude. They come to be entertained. They come to meet up with their social group. They come simply out of habit without any intentional aim to approach God. They come superstitiously thinking that church going will get them brownie points with God. But they come to their, with their own views of God, wanting to worship God on their terms rather than on the way God revealed himself in Scripture. Friend, come to God with a desire to hear from him, to listen to his voice, to worship him on his own terms. Come to God with a desire for thoughtful engagement with him, spiritual engagement with him, not with a superficial and hurried, hurried attitude, not with the drive-in, quick attitude. How quickly can you get in here and how quickly can you get out of here? Not with that kind of attitude. Come to God with sincerity of heart. No amount of emphasis on grace, said someone, no amount of emphasis on grace can justify taking liberties with God. For the very concept of grace demands gratitude, and gratitude cannot be casual. Let me close with a final verse from Hebrews, which we read earlier in the service. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we have approached you with flippant attitudes, superficial desires. You who have given your only Son to die for our sins, to Purchase us for yourself. How can we approach you casually and lightly and superficially? Father, forgive us. We pray that you would awaken in your people, in your church, an awe for you, a reverence for you, in light of the sacrifice of Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would see that you are among us. May we treat you with awe. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.